Hello and welcome to Maps Communications 2020 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Andrew Nicholl, Deputy Head of Archives for Historic Environment Scotland. Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself and have a we talk about how you came into your position? Um, yes, hello. Uh, thanks for inviting me to talk today about this. Um, I've been in Historic Environment Scotland for a number of years now in a few roles. Um, I first uh, started working on the Scotland's Places project uh, when Historic Environment Scotland was previously the Royal Commission on Ancient Historic Monuments for Scotland and I uh, handled uh, the work around the transcription of the historic documents uh, on the website. So lots of information about uh, 18th century taxation, uh, 19th century ordnance survey name books. And so I liaised with a lot of volunteers, virtual volunteers out in the, the world uh, who uh, got together to help us transcribe these documents to make them available, searchable um, for family historians, lo local historians. And then on after that, I did a little bit of work with Scran as the development manager, um, getting new digital content there and promoting that. And then for the last I think it's four years now. Um, I've been deputy head of archives, looking after um, a fantastic collection, uh, the National Collection of Architecture and Archaeology in Scotland, um, along with a really great team of people, um, archivists, conservators, librarians, um, photographers. Uh, we've, we've got a really good team of people there and uh, a really great collection to be working with. So how do you spend an average day? Oh, crikey. Um, I'm not sure what an average day is. Uh, I think um, because we're quite a large team, uh, there's uh, about 30 of us in total in the department. Um, we often have a lot of planning and meetings and catch-ups, um, which are a necessary part of uh, life and work. Um, but all of those meetings and plannings, they they've got a lot to do with the collections themselves. Uh, we can often be stood in the middle of a strong room looking at boxes and uh, trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do with this? Uh, where are we going with that collection? How is the cataloging going on? What's in that box over there? And do we know what's what's happening? And and really it's it's planning, planning various projects for cataloging, for digitization, for making things available online, uh, for exhibitions. Um, so an average day often involves a lot of desk work, but then also walking the stores, the strong rooms, looking at boxes, seeing what's there. Um, and the, some of the great things about it is opening a box and finding things that we didn't know that we had. That's, that's a big part of what we do still. So Historic Environment Scotland is uh, mainly focused on historic buildings monuments. And so what makes up the bulk of your collection in terms of uh, physical format and content? Um, we have a variety of physical formats. Um, we hold probably about four to five million items in total over about 25 kilometers of shelving. And that's the physical archives. Architectural drawings are a large part of what we have. So 
we have um, flat flat paper um, up to about AO size. So we've got huge number of drawers, large plan chests um, throughout the building. We also have architectural drawings that are rolled. So we've got cube tubes um, and those are stacked up too. We've got a large photographic holding. So uh, we have um, photographic prints and we have negatives and we have probably a few hundred thousand negatives in our uh, one of our strong rooms uh, in Edinburgh. Um, and so that's the physical holdings. We also hold a tremendous amount of digital material that's born digital and also analog to digital, digitized material. And we're sitting in our um, digital repository with about 50 terabytes of data there at the moment. Um, so really there's a, a, a great variety um, of material, even through to glass plates, um, if I think, um, about what we've got, we've got through to glass plates as well um, from the 19th century. So we've we've pretty much got everything from parchment, paper, um, photographic material, film, uh, glass plates, and the digital. Who accesses your collection, and and why? What are they looking for? What what purpose? Um, quite a lot of people. We're, it's very interesting because, uh, like so many archives now we've seen uh, a stabilization of in-person visitors. Um, there's a bit of a, a drop over the past few years and many archives experience, uh, have experienced that. Um, so we've got local historians, family historians, university students. Uh, we also have our colleagues within the organization because we maintain lots of records relating to the properties and care in Scotland. So Edinburgh Castle, Stirling Castle, um, those those buildings. We've got a lot of archives relating to that. So our colleagues in conservation who look after the buildings, they they come and uh, look at the material as well. Um, so we've got we've got those uh, almost standard archive users, local historians, family historians, and they are looking into maybe the history of their street or their house or the town that their ancestors uh, lived in. Um, but a lot of our usage is now online, online users from around the world. I think a lot of those probably are Scottish diaspora, um, descendants of Scottish diaspora. So they're looking at family history, local history as well. Um, but our online platforms, and there's a few of them at the moment, um, I think we've got about 5 million users every year who log in from around the world and use, use our material, um, either as a, a starting point to their research to come into the, the, the search room to do more in-depth research or to use the digital content that we have there. You mentioned that um, you had uh, physical visitors and they, they dropped and are now stabilized. Is the difference made up by people visiting digital platforms? Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's pretty fair to say that um, the, the, the rise in digital online users far outstrips the, the number of physical users coming into the building and also the, the drop in physical numbers. I think there's just a, a change in the way that people do research. Um, there has been a change in the way that people uh, do research over the last few years. All archives have seen it really, um, with more material being made available online. Um, there's maybe a bit of an expectation that people want to see this material online. Um, I think 
lifestyles have changed so trying to get to an archive isn't always the easiest thing and of course if you're on the other side of the world um, it's not so easy to physically get to an archive um, so getting material online being able to view material online uh, is is really an important thing I'm an archivist so I still advocate being able to see the original items touch them smell them um, you know look at them close up um, that's a really important part of having archives and using archives but often people are are looking for the information contained within them and they're they're happy to see a digital surrogate to to get what they need out of it um, the stuff you digitize what you focus on like what you prioritize do you prioritize documents because they just need the information or photographs because they look good visually what do you focus on um, we've probably got a couple of ways of looking at our digitization we react to the needs of the public um, first and foremost so um, if people get in touch with us and say I can see from your catalogue that you have this item relating to this building here and it could be a drawing or it could be a photograph but it doesn't seem to be digitized and it's not available uh, for me to view we would probably look at those items and 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 be able to say well we can fit that in you know one or two items we can fit that into our digitization schedule and get that um, worked through the system and available online so that you can see that um, pretty soon um, we also respond to um, commercial orders as well because um, architects use us uh, in their work if if they're looking at older buildings and they need um, access to older plans and drawings so we will digitize those and supply those for um, uh, their business purposes and then for the past few years uh, we've also benefited from um, investment funds from within the organization to um, deal with digitizing uh, material and making it available online um, and also dealing with a, a large backlog of born digital archives that we have. So we're cataloging those and making them available online. But what we've done in our main investment digitization is look at collections um, that have never really been digitized, maybe haven't been cataloged, um, certainly not available online, probably pretty unknown, um, and looked to see what we could do with those we like to find collections that have a national coverage of Scotland so that um, when we digitize entire collections, it has a relevance to everyone, um, wherever they might be in Scotland. Uh, we've got to figure out whether the metadata, the catalog information that we can create or that we have allows these things to be found when we get them online. Um, and uh, really also try to find collections that are exciting. Um, they've got to have an interest to them. And the last few years, we've tackled a number of collections which really have um, sparked a lot of interest from the public. Um, they're from the 1970s or the 1960s. And I think sometimes we don't realize that the 1970s um, are really a part of history that people like looking at. So we've got wonderful photographic surveys of Scotland. Um, it's almost Google Street View before Google Street View uh -huh. because we've got these pictures of streets. Um, and these pictures were taken for the purpose of recording buildings. But then you also see the kids out playing on the chopper bikes 
and um, there's people, uh, there's fashions. If we've got shop front windows, we've got um, amazing records there of, well, what the high street used to look like. Mm. Um, so there's lots of different things that come through, um, which uh, give interest and a wee bit of excitement for people. Yeah, that's a bit of personal history for some people, kind of looking back and remembering what it like when they were kids. Yeah, uh, there's there's some photographs where the occupants of the building can be seen peering through a window, <laughs> or they're standing at the front door, um, and and that's really nice to see as well. Um, we are an architectural archive. Um, that's the purpose of of our collections, but within them you can see the social history you can see people you can see the people as, as part of these buildings and the, the towns and the villages that they're in so with the overlapping of, of themes obviously you do focus primarily on on the architectural themes but do you work with other organizations um to develop other parts of your collection are they do you share data things like that um we do. Um, because of uh, Historic Environment Scotland has a, a number of roles um, in, in the country looking after the properties and care, um, the castles, uh, the cathedrals, that's one of our roles. We have our um, archive function as well. Uh, we're also uh, a part of um, looking after the historic environment and surveying the, the historic environment. So our colleagues, we, we have archaeologists and architectural historians on staff and they're often in touch with um, local authorities in Scotland and they work with the, the local archaeologists, the, the town planners, the planning departments. Um, so on one level that that's a very involved part of our work with HES uh, as a whole. Um, we also have good working relationships with other archives um, here in Edinburgh and also elsewhere in the in the country. Um, we hold uh, the Scottish portion of the Aerofilms collection, which is a wonderful aerial photography collection dating from 1919. And we hold the Scottish portion, our colleagues in Historic England and in Wales in the Welsh Royal Commission, they hold the other parts there. And so we, we have one website, Britain from Above, where we've brought together, um, I think about 100,000 images from, from that one collection and make it available. Um, but also the nature of archives, as they always are, we've got some some bits of material. Uh, so we've got uh, an architectural collection from the practice of Rowan Anderson in Edinburgh. Um, Edinburgh University have other parts of that collection because he designed large parts of the university campus. Um, and then the National Records of Scotland have the prisons that he designed. So our, we've got good working close relationships with, with other archives in, in Edinburgh and beyond. With that would present challenges, presumably. What, what kind of um, things do you come up against? What would you say is, is particular to your archive that you have to manage? Um, One of the, I think one of the challenges, like every archive, we have a backlog. Yeah. Um, so, so we've always, we've always managed to collect things, uh, often as a, as a rescue, um, a rescue operation, 
two or three years ago, I'm not, I can't remember exactly, we had a phone call a fortnight before Christmas um, saying that an architectural firm was closing down. Um, and would we be able to help uh, with the archives that they had? And initially we wondered whether any of the other local archives would be able to help out with the collection. But with two weeks notice, and quite a large collection, it wasn't really possible for local archives to step in. Um, and so we, we said that we would step in. Um, we knew that the architectural firm had been around since sort of 1910, 1920. Um, so there, there was good material there to illustrate the built environment. Um, it was Dundee based, uh, so east coast of Scotland material there, Dundee Tayside, we thought that we would see. 20th century and so off we went and we started um, and we, I think we spent about um, four or five days trying to get the material packed up um, but the surprises that came out in it um, were really quite interesting when we thought we'd tackled one area where things were stored we saw a, a hatch in the ceiling and all of a sudden the attic appears and um, managed to climb up into the attic and we were removing drawings from the 1860s Wow, really, yeah, it really did surprise us because we thought, how come? The, you know, this practice was only founded in 1910, 1920, thereabouts. Well, why have we got drawings from then? And it's all because different architects would come into the practice and start working. They'd bring drawings from previous work that they had done, and they were just accumulating and accumulating. So, so that material came in. And the challenge that we had, of course, was trying to process it, trying to get it at least basically listed and catalogued so that we could retrieve it if anyone wanted it, if anyone wanted to see it. Um, we don't yet still have a detailed catalogue of it, but we've got a working catalogue so that if somebody says, do you have anything on this? We can look through the list and say, yeah, we seem to have something there. And that's when we can get things out of the strong rooms and the public or other people can look at it and see if it's what they're interested in. So I think backlogs are always challenging, but they throw up surprises and great things at the same time. Other than hopefully getting down the backlog, what are your hopes for the future of the archive? What direction do you think would be good to go in? Um, I think it's clear from our the last few years of work that we've been doing that we are shifting to a more digital environment and that's for um, allowing access to the physical archives through uh, digitization programs, but also the born digital material that we have. Um, we take material from archaeological units in Scotland, architectural practices in Scotland, um, and they just have moved to digital uh, themselves, you know, in terms of how they create their own records and how they manage those records. So we, we're going to see more and more material moving online. I, I think I said earlier, we've got about 50 terabytes of data uh, in the um, digital archive at the moment. But again, there's a backlog. And I think we've got another 20 to 30 terabytes of, of data that has to be processed. And it's got to be catalogued. It's got to be identified in some way um, to be able to findable online 
So for the next few years, we're certainly going to be concentrating on the digital. Um, we know also we have to do more with the physical. Um, and so maybe in the next few years, we've got our fingers crossed that we'll be moving to a new building to accommodate the physical archives and um, more, more fit for purpose storage uh, for the archives. So we've, we're not going to be idle for the next few years, certainly. Is the archive based in Edinburgh at the moment? It is, uh, and it will uh, continue to be based uh, in Edinburgh. Um, we we have five strong rooms in our one of our head office buildings in Edinburgh, John Sinclair House, and then we also have a number of uh, a couple of strong rooms out with the main building where we manage more of the material as well. Okay, um, I, you've mentioned obviously you have a lot of um, dealings with Edinburgh Castle, probably our most famous monument. Um, I know you've done work for um, the Rennie McIntosh Glasgow School of Art, but what would you say is the most interesting item that you have, just in your opinion? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if I could say one particular item. Well, give us a few. I well, I, I, the, the one thing that one of the collections that we have, uh, it's an architectural collection called the um, Dick Petty Mackay collection. It was an architectural firm based in Edinburgh uh, from about the 1850s through, I think it still exists. Um, um, but in its heyday, it was doing lots of public buildings, fetus. Uh, college in Edinburgh, the Morgan Academy in Dundee. But as you walk along a street, if you see a bank building that looks, you know, Italian in style, and you, you see these bank buildings and you walk along George Street in Edinburgh, and they're now converted into restaurants or offices or things like that. I quite enjoy looking at a building and thinking, I wonder if that's a Dick Petty Mackay building, and do we have the plans for it? Um, so I can get my mobile phone out and do a quick search on Canmore, that's our um, main catalogue, and see whether or not we have a drawing or a photograph of it in, in the database to see whether or not um, it's there. And so the Dick Petty Mackay collection really, and it's really great because you can be anywhere in Scotland and you spy a building, a sandstone building, and you think to yourself, that was a bank. It looks it looks kind of like Dick Petty Mackay, and and that that's the real fun thing for me that I, I really enjoy that collection. So your favourite um, Scottish architect, that one is he? Yeah, I mean the the style the style in their buildings they're 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 pretty good, pretty solid. Um, it's 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 good architecture, um, but I it, I like I like the ability to to see things in the street, you know, in person, and then think where are the archives for that? Where are the drawings? Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a conference in Glasgow in the the, the Grand Central Hotel, just at the, the Central Railway Station. And um, I looked at the building, I thought, hmm, I wonder. And sure enough, we had the original plans for that building. Uh, we have the original plans uh, in Edinburgh. And it was great to see. It, it was great to see the, the original plans. No ensuite bathrooms for any of the rooms, you know, nothing like that. But then to be able to see the hotel and how it was today, and then be able to look at the original plans and see the changes, that's always exciting. That's always good fun. I mean, I've used um, Canmore to look at um, 
sort of ghost signs like what used to be there um old old railway lines have been torn off it's really interesting to see what your neighborhood used to look like yeah that's that's the great thing about it um i'm i'm sitting here uh looking out a window um and i can see uh tenements from where i am and uh I was quite interested a while ago about that, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder what's what this used to be like, and when when was this built? And I was able to use Canmore to track down some early photographs from about 1910 of these buildings. And looking a bit more closely down on the ground floor, there was a St Cuthbert's Cooperative Society branch, so you know a local shop was there. It's not there anymore. Um, but when I looked at the building again, I realised from the photograph there's a bit of molding stone molding that didn't match anywhere else on the on the terrace on the run and that's where the cooperative was and it's because they had signs up and they had different things going on so the the ability to use the archives to look at your local area to see what things were like and also explain why things are the way that they are and and how things have changed over time is is really good um i know that um on television lately they've had a great series about looking at the history of your home and and the sources that we have really do fit into that sort of thing to to look at your street and see um what your street used to look like and these collections that we have of of the street view uh you know being able to go along a whole street and see how something looked in the 1970s compared to today that's that's really great too have you you've compared it to Google Maps, but obviously that's a, a very complicated tool. But do you have the ability to kind of look at a map and place certain photographs, or is that far too complicated and, and much too far in the future to think about? No, um, we we've always had a history of um, in our cataloging of trying to geographically locate. Um, the the subjects of the archives so if it's a building in architectural plans we would create a site in our database and we'd we'd drop a pin on the map um, and so we've we've always done that and one of our websites is called pastmap and that's at pastmap.org.uk and that allows you to zoom in on anywhere in scotland and you'll start to see these dots appearing on the screen and if you click on a dot, it will then take you through to Canmore and it will show you what we've got for a particular area. Now, it might just be a description of a building and there might not be any photographs or archives associated with it. Or, um, you know, there could be 20, 30, 40 photographs associated with it. So we, we've, we've always done very well um, geographically locating our archives. The problem that we have is, is the scale now of some of our collections and being able to do that. Um, with the resources that we have, but you can look at the past map viewer, you can zoom in on a particular place, and you can start clicking on dots and uh, you can access things that way. Um, the good old fashioned other way is just keyword searching um, yeah. from our um, our main catalog descriptions and trying to get catalog descriptions that work, um, you know, that are sensible, that are good, that are informative. That's a, a, a challenge and a skill that we, we're always trying to keep on top of. Fantastic. So it's good for people to explore. Um, we've got, what was it, Past Map? You've got Past Map. Canmore, 
you've got Iran. Mm -hmm. Where else would you point people in the direction of? Um, you could also go to Britain from above. And that's the aerial photographs from the 1920s through to the 1950s. And that covers the whole of the UK. Um, and you can also contribute to that because you, you uh, a member of the public, can plant a pin and say that building there is you know, such and such a building or that railway line station, that railway line closed in 1972. And I think we've got over a million contributions from the public on that website. Oh. And it's really great for people to look at and uh, again, just see the development of towns and cities. Because it's aerial photographs, it's a bit like Google again, mm -hmm. um, but it's that historical view and it allows people to reminisce and think about how their uh, towns and cities and villages used to be. Um, so uh, Britain from above, Scran, Canmore, Past Map. Uh, I don't think I've forgotten any. There must be another one that I've forgotten though. <laughs> and hopefully in the future, well, hopefully in the future, we're, we're, we're looking at all these saying, well, could we, you know, we've got different functionality on some, some of these websites. Um, for different ways to interact with it. And we sort of looked at them all and said, we really need all of this functionality over all of the websites. And then we progressed to the next stage when we said, do we need all these individual websites? Would it not be better for one website that people could go to to access all that information? And that's in the plans for the future as well, is being able to, to bring all of these resources together and all of the different types of functionality into one, one platform that people can access all the information from. That sounds very ambitious. I'm looking forward to it. We have our fingers crossed, yes. <laughs> challenges, you. challenges. Thank you for agreeing to speak to me today, Andrew. It was so interesting hearing about you talking about how people relate to their built environment. Um, more personal than I think people might think. Yeah, yeah. I think I, uh, a lot of people take things for granted. Uh, you know, maybe don't look up at buildings, don't look around at the, the environment that they're in. Um, but if you're interested in the history of where you live or where you grew up, uh, there's certainly a good amount of material um, that's available from Historic Environment Scotland to help you understand that area as well. So final advice is to be nosy about your area. Yeah, ask questions, look at things and, and look at things and think, why is that like that? Um, think about it and, and see if you can find out the answers. It's great fun. Yeah, fantastic. It was lovely speaking to you. Thanks very much.